the RTI Time Machine. Today's time traveler is... John Van Trieste. And the destination... The world of lacquerware. Lacquerware is one of those art forms like porcelain and silk weaving that East Asia has led the world in. Though the art is not native to Taiwan, it is spread here too, and the great traditions of both China and Japan have left their marks here. Over the past few centuries, objects from bowls and chopsticks to gift boxes have either come here or been made here. And since the 20th century, Taiwanese lacquerware has begun to feature Taiwanese designs too. What's great about lacquerware is that it's beautiful and shiny, it can keep for thousands of years, and it's not necessarily expensive. Though lacquerware has largely been replaced these days, one exhibit at the Kaohsiung Museum of History seeks to draw attention back to these beautiful qualities and to lacquer's place in Taiwan's past. Museum curator Huang Yujun is here this week to introduce Taiwan's history of lacquer. The raw material lacquer is made from the sap of a tree that is applied as a coating onto some other surface. Ms. Huang says this type of tree is not well known in Taiwan. The basic process of making lacquerware can be divided into three stages. The first involves shaping the vessel to be coated with lacquer. These vessels are often made of materials like wood, bamboo, paper, and even glass. Sometimes the vessel is simply a mold used to shape the lacquer, then removed, leaving a hardened lacquer shape called bodiless lacquer. In the second stage, a material that strengthens the base is spread on the surface. This is a material that's never seen, but which Ms. Huang says is crucial, the secret to lacquerware's longevity. Layers of lacquer are applied and smoothed, and after many layers are finished, patterns and decoration might be added in. This is the stage where a craftsman's real artistry can shine through. The pieces on display in this exhibit show a few of the most common techniques used to decorate lacquer. There is one process that results in a pure, single-colored finish, simple but elegant. In another process, the artist cuts a pattern into the lacquer with a knife and then fills in the grooves left behind with some other material. Artists can paint with different colored lacquers to create an image. They can also use the stickiness of the lacquer to inlay other materials, like shells. Visitors to the exhibit can compare the effects each of these techniques creates. Where did Taiwan's earliest lacquerware come from? The answer is China, a place where lacquerware dates back millennia. According to Ms. Huang, the earliest example of lacquerware yet unearthed comes from China's Neolithic Hamudu culture. And the museum's own collection includes an example of lacquerware from the Han Dynasty, somewhere in the neighborhood of 2,000 years ago. Lacquerware developed into a high art over time, and during the Ming Dynasty, between the 14th and 17th centuries, it was well-developed indeed. Ms. Huang says that during this period, one craftsman called Huang Cheng penned a manual detailing the tools and techniques used to make lacquerware. She says that while more techniques have since been invented, this book still stands as the Bible of lacquerware makers today. 
Towards the end of the Ming, ethnic Chinese migration to Taiwan got underway, and it continued after the following dynasty, the Qing, took control of Taiwan's west coast in the 17th century. Ethnic Chinese migration to Taiwan eventually brought with it a demand for lacquerware. Of course, people could import their lacquerware from across the Taiwan Strait. But new arrivals in Taiwan did include some lacquerware craftsmen. People could also have their lacquerware made here. The earliest piece in this exhibit dates from this Qing era. It is a richly decorated box meant to hold pastries offered to the ancestors. In 1895, another country with a long history of lacquer took control of Taiwan. This was Japan, a country whose reputation for lacquer gave us the English word Japaning, used for European imitations. During the years of Japanese rule, Japanese immigrants came to Taiwan, and they brought their own lacquerware with them. Many of the items had the same functions as Chinese lacquerware. Japanese serving trays were unique to Japan, but otherwise, things like bowls, chopsticks, and boxes were common to both traditions. When it came to design, though, Japanese lacquerware stood out. Ms. Huang says that designs were different, and sometimes techniques too, such as the Japanese technique of scattering powdered metals like gold and silver into lacquer to add sparkle as needed. Styles coming in from Japan didn't replace Chinese-style lacquerware. Instead, both varieties coexisted in Taiwan until Japanese rule ended in 1945. The museum's collection of around 200 lacquerware pieces comes largely from the two eras we've talked about today, the Qing and Japanese periods. Over 100 of these pieces are in this exhibit. With so much to look at, it's hard to know where to begin. But five of these pieces deserve our special attention. Each dates from the Japanese period and features specifically Taiwanese designs. This may be why these pieces have been deemed important cultural properties in the museum's home city of Kaohsiung. First up on our list, there's a dark-colored vase inlaid with cowbone to form the shape of Taiwanese orchids. Then, there is a tiny Japanese-era jar, just 10 centimeters high. It features a detailed image of indigenous Thao people from the Sun Moon Lake area of Taiwan. The people in the image are making traditional music using wooden pestles as instruments. These two lacquerware pieces would have been sold as souvenirs of Taiwan. The Japanese period was the time when tourism to the island first began. There are also three boxes that were meant to hold smoking paraphernalia. Tobacco was once a bigger part of people's lives, and those who could afford to stored their smokes in style. These lacquered boxes show elements of life on Orchid Island off Taiwan's east coast, featuring designs like the canoes of the local Daul people. As we've already mentioned, it's not all fancy items. Lacquer was always used to make more ordinary objects, too, and these are on display as well. One piece is just a simple water ladle, and it's important here. That's because one of the exhibit's goals is to show the wide range of everyday uses lacquer can have. 
Ms. Huang says that traditional materials like pottery are still widely appreciated today. But lacquerware is something people in today's Taiwan don't have quite the same connection with. In many cases, lacquerware has been replaced by plastic. There are even plastic objects that mimic lacquerware's looks. And Ms. Huang says those who don't know better might even be fooled by them. The exhibit tries to put lacquer back in the spotlight. There are good reasons to do this, and good reasons to bring lacquer back. Like plastic, lacquerware stays around for an awfully long time. Like plastic, lacquerware can also be used to make any container or utensil. But because lacquerware is beautiful, lacquer objects get reused, hung onto, and passed down instead of thrown away. At a time when Taiwan considers plastic's place, an old art form may offer one alternative. Ms. Huang says both the museum and the government would like to see lacquerware make a comeback. The good news is that in today's Taiwan, lacquerware is still being made. It may no longer coat our smoking boxes, but Ms. Huang says there are still craftsmen out there in Taiwan drawing on centuries of outside influence and finding their own ways to bring this art form forward. I'm John Van Trieste, and I hope you'll join me again next week for another Journey Through Time. From a fruit market in Tel Aviv to a fish seller in Taipei, the people of our world are working hard to make a living. Are you listening? 